The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Varicosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulturist Felder Rushing here, and we've got almost an hour to just talk about gardening. I know it's hot. I know it's humid. Uh, heck, I'm over here in England, and it's supposed to hit the upper 90s. They say it may actually, in parts of, of England, uh, approach 100 degrees, which has not happened in, rec- in their recorded weather history. So uh, it's, it's weird everywhere, but I'm used to gardening in the heat and the drought in Mississippi. That's where I've always gardened. I've got a garden that is somehow has been surviving uh, zero maintenance for a long, long time. So if you're having trouble with plants that are that are droopy or they look like they're scorching or something, I might be able to help you out with that. So if you want to give us a call, it's a live program. It's toll-free. It's, the, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And me and Java and, uh, hey, Java, who, who is our phone greeter this morning? Uh, as always, Charles Arnold. He's our uh, resident intern here. So he's going to be helping out with the phones, and uh, I'm I'm tripping over what you just said, Felder, with the the hundred degree weather in it's, in it's England. Fi- that is wild, man. It's it's sixty three degrees here in Lancashire. I'm up in north. If you could imagine overlay, if, if people wonder where in England I am, if you were to overlay England on top of Mississippi, England will fit inside Mississippi. People don't realize it's a small country. Not counting Scotland and Wales, which is sort of stuck on there like the Delta somewhere. Um, but I'm, you know, if you imagine London is down around Hattiesburg, and I'm up around Clarksdale. If you go to Memphis, that's Glasgow, Scotland. So just to give you an idea where I am. But it's 63 degrees here. It's three o'clock in the afternoon here, and 63 degrees. To say it may hit the the mid 90s here next week, which is extremely unusual. They're having fires in Yorkshire right now that they've never had before. So it's a weird world, man. And uh, us gardeners got to stick together somehow. And I wonder so, what how their plants are going to react. I know that, that this sudden shock <laughs> is yeah, going to hurt some people. Yeah, it is. But even weirder is uh, nobody has air conditioners over here. They have to open the windows. So there's a big rush on fans at the stores right now because they, they don't have air conditioning. You know, it's because it cools down at night. So uh, anyway, we, we'll get by somehow. If worse comes to worse, you know, they might actually be able to start growing okra and sweet potatoes over here like we do. So anyway, what's going on with you, man? What's what's up in your life? Man, I, I do have to say that I don't know if my watermelon picking technique is uh, is up for a, a, re, a refurbish or something, but the last couple of watermelons I've gotten from the store, they've been mushy on the inside. And I, I don't, yeah. it, it, it's not sitting right with me. It, you know, and a lot of times, you know, Java, this is something a lot of people might realize. When you buy stuff at store, unless you get it from a farmer's market and it's grown fairly locally, a lot of the tomatoes and the strawberries and the peppers and the melons and stuff, 
they may come from California or Florida or even Mexico. And sometimes they've been picked before they were ready to pick, and they were ripened in harvest. And uh, you know, in the between when they were picked and you get them, so they may not have completely formed before you get them. And I believe so, uh, that uh, the Smith County brand is more of a brand than uh, <laughs> them being, like, kind of actually grown in Smith County. I'm going to go on record and say it. I'm going to go on record and say it. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've actually been to a tomato festival, a watermelon festival in Smith County. Um, you know, they have it in the fall, but I'm not sure about the, you know, how many of the tomatoes they say. Technically, if it says Smith County, it's supposed to it's sort of like Champagne. If they say Champagne, it's supposed to be from Champagne region of France. So uh, just like... Uh, uh, yeah, Yorkshire. They, they have these Yorkshire handheld pies things here. They're called pasties. Yorkshire pasties, not Yorkshire pasties. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, if Cornish pasties, Cornish pasties is sort of like a handheld pie. If it says Cornish pasty, it's got to be made in Cornwall. So, but I don't know. You know, we might be exposing ourselves to some Smith County ire here if we're not careful, my friend. Well, we we still have love for Smith County, and they are the best watermelons around. But I know I, I've gotten what I have not come to expect, and they had the Smith County uh, uh, sticker on it. So if I'm if I'm wrong, I am open to being told so. <laughs> well, you know, and, and and I suppose it's sort of like uh, what's what's that sweet onion everybody likes? Uh, Vidalia. Vidalia, onion. yeah. If it says Vidalia, legally it's got to be from there. But you can grow a Vidalia-type onion anywhere. It's called Granex. You can grow Granex anywhere. It's the same onion. It's just not from Vidalia. But, hey, i got to eat a little bit of crow here, Java. long as you've known me, you know that if I know something, I can be really, really arrogant about it. I know what I know. But I also know what I don't know. If somebody asks me something I don't know, I'm not going to guess. Well, I just found out last week something that I absolutely know to be true for 40 years is exactly backwards, and I'm ready to eat some crow. You ready for this? Lay it on me. I'm, I'm, I'm in, <laughs> with anticipation. Come okay. There's, there's, in a nutshell, without getting the science of it, when you pick something, pick some kind of fruit, some of them will continue to ripen. You know, once you pick them, they keep getting, you know, riper. Some, as soon as you pick them, they start going downhill immediately, like strawberries, for example. Strawberries, when you pick them, raspberries, blackberries, they start going down immediately. Well, I've been saying that tomatoes need to be left on the vine until they're completely ready to mature because the longer you leave it, the more sugars and more flavors and more all that goodness gets pumped into it until it's ready to pick. Well, it turns out, that ain't right. I've been saying that for years. Leave them on the vine. That's what makes them taste good. Come to find out, and I found out by not by accident, a lot of people hollered at me and showed me research. And then I ran it by Gary Bachman. You know, he's an extension horticulture uh, garden expert in the state. When you when the tomato first starts showing just a little bit of pink color, it's still green, but showing a little bit of pink, that's just as much sugars and acids and flavor as it will ever get. If you leave it on the vine until it turns red, it's already starting to decay. So what what you can do is pick tomatoes when they start showing just a little bit of color, maybe 10 or 20% color, and they will continue to ripen off the vine and mature. They don't get a better flavor if you leave them on there. It's still pretty much the same flavor, but they'll last longer. Uh, they're easier to store. They'll ripen slowly. They'll turn red. Same flavor. But, and you don't have to worry about 
birds or squirrels or stink bugs or all that other stuff getting them when they start turning red. So I've been saying leave tomatoes on until they're completely red. Don't pick them green. And I'm a horticulturist, a degree on top of degree, and I'm just telling you that's wrong. Pick them when they start showing a little bit of color. And I don't care what mama said or what daddy said or what I remember from a kid. They don't taste better if you leave them on the vine. Now, that's a lot for me to say. Now, Felder, see, that's what makes you special, man. A lot of people, I mean, you see it every day on the television. They have recorded footage of somebody saying something and doing something, and they will be like, no, that wasn't me. So you went out and called, <laughs> your, and called yourself out, and that's what makes you special, man. It's the only, only uh, Felder Russia. <laughs> well, uh, I will say this. So people say, no, they taste better when you leave them on. What they mean is they like to hang their face over the sink until they get juice running down their chin and running down their arms. But when that gooey stuff inside a tomato starts getting really gooey and the seeds start floating around, that's just a texture thing. That's that's just what you remember from your childhood. They don't taste better if you let them stay on the vine to the red. And I've been saying, I don't mind admitting that, you know. So anyway, if you got tomatoes, you got problems with stink bugs or rot or sunscald or birds or squirrels, pick them when they start showing a little green. You can put them in a, a box up under the couch. And they're ripen better. And also, by the way, they ripen better in coolness, not hot. So put them on a shelf in the kitchen, not on the shelf out on the porch, because apparently they, they ripen mature best when the temperature is somewhere around 60, 70, uh, lower 80 degrees, because that's where they're from naturally. So store them inside, not in the refrigerator. Pick them when they're showing a little color and avoid all of the problems. So there, I've changed, I've changed my mind now. Somebody got to ch- tell me that I'm wrong, but they're going to have to take on Cornell, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, University of Georgia, all these other folks who say that I've been wrong all this time. And my question is, Java, how come some of these smug experts hadn't told me I was wrong and just let me be a fool? Now, now, now there we go. They, yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. now, that's the bigger yeah, question. Say, yeah, he's. He says this, and he's just wrong. Well, tell me. <laughs> Let me learn. So anyway, there we go. Hey, we got any calls yet? Have I been yammering too much? No, but, we, but we, you have given everyone a, a, a great <laughs> time to call in. We have uh, calls from Mobile, calls from uh, Clinton, and our first caller uh, for the hour is going to be Fiona in Brandon. All right, let's bring it on. Hey, Fiona, what's going on? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. What I just wanted to know was I've got tomatoes going, uh, squash, zucchini, peppers. They're all doing really well. They look beautiful, but nothing is producing any fruit or vegetables. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. That's fairly common. And by the way, what part of the U.K. are you from? Oh, yeah. Well, I used to live in Surrey, North London. My mother... Actually, retired northwest coast of Scotland. She used to be um, editor of, I think, the Orchid Review or the, uh, the Botanical Society and stuff okay. like that. Yeah, one, uh, of, one of my favorite botanical gardens is in the northwest of Scotland. People don't realize that that little finger that sticks down the iris, they can actually grow palms and figs there. People just don't realize that. Isn't that near Inverview? I'm trying to remember. But, yeah, I know when we... She wanted. They wanted to retire there. Everyone, all my brothers and sister, were like, "Really?" 
But there is a Gulf Stream. That's why it's a mile. There are palm trees. You are correct. That's right. That's right. Well, the reason why a lot of stuff is doing it, so many of the things that we grow are not from Mississippi. They're from other parts of the world. And a lot of our vegetables, the tomatoes, the peppers, the beans, and things like that, they're from cooler climates. And when the when the temperatures get really hot, I'm talking about the lower, mid-90s, uh, the flowers don't form right. They don't pollinate right. And the little flowers and sometimes the little small, uh, t- I'm going to say tomato and the peppers and the beans, they fall off like they've just been snipped off cleaning, just from hot weather, just hot weather. Okay, well, guess there's nothing much I can do about it. Just no, you know, some pe- some some people um, you know, have light shade cloths and they'll stretch them out like a tent over their over okay. their, their plants. This helps a little bit. They still get plenty of sunshine, but unfortunately, even in the shade, when it gets ninety five, upper nineties, the flowers just don't form right, and nothing much we can do except try not to push plants with too much fertilizer. You know, right now. I I don't use fertilizer, that might be the problem. But there's zucchini and squash are flowering. I've got loads of flowers just uh Yeah. Do you have both male and female flowers? Can you tell the difference? Yeah, I can tell the difference, I do. Well, the reason why I'm saying because weather and fertilizer moisture can affect whether you have, you know, too many or not of male flowers. But also, even if you have male and female flowers open the same day, if, if you don't have any bees out there, they're not going to be doing the pollinating. You might want to try some hand pollinating, which is not hard to do. Yeah, yeah I'll just take out the stamen and put it in the, yeah, the female part. Yeah. yeah, there aren't many yeah, well, bees. You know, you know, I've seen a couple of flies. They do the same thing, don't they, pollinate? Not not really. They don't carry pollen. Uh, you know, they'll get in and, and they'll pollinate the fly, self-fertile flowers but they don't they don't have the little hairy things to carry pollen from one flower to the other so and all you have to do is break a male flower off stem and all peel the petals off and use it like a little mascara brush and uh, and, and that'll do it but flies don't carry pollen uh, as well as efficiently as bees do okay well th- I'll, I'll try that thanks a lot okay good luck on it thank you thank you bye-bye and uh, by the way, Java, I uh, I went yesterday, spent a day uh, taking trains all over England, almost to Liverpool, to uh, to, a, to a, a little small town. Uh, it's called Saint Helens. Uh, Saint Helens, not much of a town, but it's got one of the largest, oldest glass factories uh, in in Europe. As a matter of fact, I went to the World of Glass Museum and and uh, met with their glass blower. Uh, you know, I, I watched him blow some little glass balls and stuff like that. I learned a lot about the history of glass. Um, but I did it because I'm getting ready to give a, a, a garden talk at the Southport Flower Show next, uh, next month. And guess what my topic of talking to English gardeners is, being from Mississippi. Any idea? Uh, let's see. The bottle trees? Bottle trees. <laughs> you know, they know about pruning weird stuff. They know I can't tell them anything about growing stuff or gardening because they got it down over here. But I see gnomes. I see elves. I see all sorts of things. The only things I don't see many of at all is bottle trees. So it's going to be up to me to introduce them to this part of England. We'll see how well it works. So, anyway, whether we're talking about accessorizing or pollinating or mowing or fertilizing or pest control, if it's about gardening, we're going to talk about it. Give us a call. The lines are free, toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. 
Uh, next week, I'm going to go to a, to a flower show um, in Tatton Park, Royal Horticulture Society flower show, where I'm looking for ways to get the most out of small space gardening. So whether you live in Mississippi or England, it's hot, it's dry, and the more you can grow in a smaller space with least effort, the better. So I'm going to be looking at ways where you can combine flowers and vegetables and herbs in containers and small beds. We're going to take a break and come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener, me and Java, and all the folks here at MPB right after this. Stick with us, folks. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing, and we're talking about gardening. And we're going to start out down on the Gulf Coast in Mobile, Alabama. Good morning, John. Thank you for calling. Good morning, Felder. Uh, I just up? wanted to uh, do a little follow-up on your comment about the tomatoes and when they get a little bit of a red color to them. Uh, uh-huh. I used to live in LaBelle, Florida, which is the middle of citrus and tomato and pepper country. And I kind of took a page out of the uh, tomato people. I had uh, several pots of tomatoes on my uh, deck, and uh, one of them got knocked over during a thunderstorm and knocked several of the tomatoes off, which were actually still green. But I took them and put them in a brown paper bag, sealed them up, waited, and they all turned red, and they all were delicious. Yeah, they'll do that. And what causes them to do this is a natural gas called ethylene. Uh, ethylene is produced by these, these fruits that continue to ripen after you pick them. have got a lot of natural ethylene. Citrus, by the way, they don't. You know, when you pick them, that's, that's pretty much it. But a lot of times uh, commercial growers will pick them and put them in a, a, like a warehouse or tr- a tractor trailer and put a can of ethylene gas in there, and that helps uh, t- turn them red and all. But uh, I also I just found out that you know if they don't naturally have a lot of the little pink color showing, then that's when they have the most of their flavors, most of their sugars and things. So they'll actually taste better if you can get them when they start showing just a little bit of color. It just doesn't get any better than that. But I, I've had people comment about seeing green tomatoes fall off the back of a tomato truck and bounce and bounce and bounce and go off the road. You know, those might have been picked a little too early. So that's one of the reasons why commercial, you know, when you go to the store, a lot of the tomatoes there don't seem to have much flavor. Part of it is because of the varieties. They've been bred for for uniformity and pickability and shipability rather than flavor. Um, And pick it by machines. That, that's right. That's right. And if they're, you know, and, and the machine can't tell if it's ripe or almost ripe. But anyway, one of the reasons why homegrown tomatoes seem to taste better is because we have varieties that naturally have more sugars, more acid. They're not, you know, they're they, they, they're more flavorful, less uniform. Some of them are what I call butt ugly, but they sure do taste good. <laughs> well, enjoy your time in England. I'm heading to Scotland next year, so. Yeah, well, you know, Scotland, you going to northern or southern Edinburgh, Glasgow, what? Well, uh, actually, we're going to start, I think we're going to start in Yorkshire. That's where I was actually born. Then we're heading up uh, into Glasgow, up, and then we're going to kind of do the whiskey tour. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, along the way, you know, uh, somewhere in the northern part of Yorkshire, there's a, uh, a, a town that's got... Uh, a botanic gar- RHS botanic garden that's got a poison plant garden. It's amazing. So anyway, be- before you go, shoot me an email. Let's 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 chat a little bit. All right. Good enough. Have a great day. All right. Cheers. Appreciate it. 
601, excuse me, not 601, 1-877-MPB-RING. If you want to give us a uh, talk about whatever's going on in your garden. Uh, I learned, uh, one of the things I learned at the Glass Museum um, was that the, the ancient Egyptian word for glass, I can't pronounce it, but it's spelled T-H-N-E-T. It means shining skin. I didn't realize that, but shiny skin. I also found out that these glass balls that were thought to ward off evil spirits were taken to the New World. Uh, they were called witch balls. They were taken to the New World by pilgrims. <laughs> you know, so you know, Europeans always had these things to ward away evil spirits, and the ancient Chinese and uh, our Native Americans. We've always found ways to to ward that off. It ain't about evil spirits to me. It's just about holding glass up to the sky so its colors can sing. So if you don't have a bottle tree, that's okay. But if you do, hold your head up high. We, we're a proud part of history. So let's go to Clinton now and talk with Brenda. Brenda, how are you this morning? Good morning. Um, I have three rose bushes, and um, about three years ago I pruned them, and since then they... Since then, they have not produced any roses. What can I do to make them have roses again? Oh, but did they have new growth on them? Well, uh, had, they just they, grow, they just green. They just grow like up the side of the up of my house, but uh-huh. they won't produce any petals. Well, let me, let me ask you a couple of things. First of all, pruning a rose doesn't hurt it. And if it's a type of rose that normally keeps blooming, they will have some bloom sooner or later. But, you know, there's a whole lot of roses that are pretty much just once bloomers. A lot of the climbing roses, for example, they bloom mostly just once in the spring with maybe a few flowers through the summer and the fall. But a lot of them are just once bloomers to begin with. So if it's an ever-blooming shrub rose, just give it a little bit more time. But if it's a kind that blooms mostly in the spring, you might get a few flowers a little bit later, but it's going to take a while. And I, I don't know which well, kind Well, I've had those bushes of maybe 10 years, and they was producing pretty roses. Like the, the rose bush would be full of blooms every year. But the okay, last all, three all years, after I, I just thought maybe I pruned them at the wrong time of the year. But before then, it was just full of petals. All the time? Until I pruned them. Yeah. Well, you know, about three years. Well, you know, if it's a kind of rose that, that, that repeats blooming, uh, you know, it, it should do okay. You know, now here's another thing. If you cut them really hard, a whole lot of roses are grafted onto stronger roots. And if something happens to the part that, that was that the top part, the pretty top part, and the bottom part sprouts out, a lot of times that rootstock is just a, mostly a once bloomer. So it's possible that you might have either pruned it really hard, all of the and, and the the root part has sprouted out, and that's not a repeat bloomer. So follow those stems back, see whether they start uh, down near the ground or up above, little knobby root up. You, you can tell where a rose is grafted; it, it, it's a knobby looking thing. If it's sprouting below that, that's just a rootstock that sprouted out, and it's just a once bloomer. But if it's if if, if pruning usually doesn't keep an ever blooming rose from reblooming. So I'm suspecting that I either give a little bit more time or else you might have cut them a little bit hard or something caused the rootstock to sprout out. So just oh. follow it back and see. If the stems are coming up down close to the ground, that's the rootstock, and it's a once bloomer. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, good luck on it. Okay, let's go up to Pontotoc County now. Bobby, what's going on up in north Mississippi? 
I got I got a a problem over here. I've had some red delicious apple trees for quite a while, and they won't bloom. And I also got some pear trees that won't bloom, and I I put basic slag around them, but every year and it, I put basic slag around them every year, and it don't do no good. They still don't bloom. I wondered if you knew what was going on. Well, I can make a, a couple of educated guesses. Have they ever bloomed and made fruit? Well, I don't know about that. I don't know whether uh, I don't know if a red oak tree. I don't know if a red delicious is ever blooming or what it is. Oh no 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 no! Uh, have these trees? Have these? Have these been out there a long time? Have they ever? Has yours ever flowered and made apples? No, they hadn't ever done nothing since I had them. They've been there about ten years. Okay, here here's what I'm guessing. Keep in mind that apple trees and pear trees and a whole lot of fruits, they tell time by how much cold they get in the winter. I don't mean freezing cold, above freezing but below 45, what I call refrigerator conditions. That's called chilling hours. And some varieties need a lot of chilling hours, and they grow best up north. And if you plant them down south, they may not get enough chilling hours to bloom. This is the reason we, why we don't grow cherries in in Mississippi, it's not cold enough in the winter. So you might have gotten some varieties that are better suited for Kentucky or Ohio or or Illinois or well, now I have, Massachusetts. I, I have got a wine sap apple tree out there, and it blooms every year and makes apples, and that's that's something I don't understand. But yeah, I didn't well, know see, about. That, well, see, that, that's what I'm saying. Different varieties require different amount of cold weather and if you get a variety that doesn't need much cold weather it'll make apples in the south uh, but it blooms too early up north and they freeze but it might be that you got one that is really good for the south and you might got a might have got another type or two that really not get enough cold weather to bloom if it's not blooming at all that's just because it's just not getting enough cold and it's not a variety that does well in the south good lord you mean i might as well cut, cut them down and throw them away <laughs> Well, you know, if they're pretty trees, I wonder, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the TV show called The Victory Garden. It used to be a show called The Victory Garden. And the host was a guy named Roger Swain, always wore red suspenders. Well, last fall, I went up to visit him in, in New Hampshire, way up there, and helped him pick apples. And he grows all sorts of apples up there that won't bloom at all down here. So, again, it just depends on whether you got the right variety for Mississippi or not. If it if it hadn't bloomed in ten years, I'm thinking it's probably just the wrong variety. Well, what kind of apples was that that Johnny Appleseed used to plant? Well, Johnny Appleseed was uh, from New England, and he went around and he didn't plant apple trees. He planted apple seeds, and he was trying to get people to grow more apples that they made cider out of. wasn't eating apples. But uh, we have a good list of apples that do well. Mississippi State, I studied fruit science at Mississippi State. We have a good list of apple trees that do well in North Mississippi, Central Mississippi, and South Mississippi, and they're not the same varieties. So you're not very far from the experiment station over there uh, near Tupelo. Uh, and they I, grow I, I'm, about, I'm about, I'm about, I'm uh, about, let's see, I'm about five miles from the University of Mississippi Experiment Station on 15. That's right. Well, they they they've got good varieties of apples that do well there, and I, I you know I I don't have the names with me right now, but uh, if you want to grow apples, you need to choose apple varieties that are suited for North Mississippi. And Mississippi State's got a good list of them. I'll go over there and talk to them because they're only five miles from me. Maybe they maybe they can help me out on some. 
All right, I'll well, thank, I'll thank okay, you. For... All right, well, good luck on it. If nothing else, you can hang Mardi Gras beads on them and, and, and just make fun of them. All right, thank you. All right, you bet. All right, Ajaba, we got time to take another call before our cheesy music. Well, I was looking at the time. I think we're going to ask um, Marcella in Columbia to hold on just a little bit. We, we're coming up on this break right here, man. Okay, I got a really cheesy, almost a surrealistic tune by the Beach Boys that uh, is, I think, appropriate right now. But the Beach Boys, even they sang about gardening-type stuff. I'm horticulturist Phil rushing, and me and Java and other folks at MTV, we welcome you to our program. We have uh, live programs Monday through Friday, local programs produced with local folks talking about local things, talking to you local folks. So if you have some questions about gardening or cooking or animals or health or law or computers, you want to talk to somebody who knows what you're saying. That's what MPB is all for. Think Radio. And if we don't know something, we'll think about it and get back with you. Anyway, we're going to take a real quick break, a little cheesy tune, shake up this Etch-A-Sketch we call the Gestalt Gardener, and come back and talk with you about whatever's going on in your gardening life. I know it's hot. I know it's humid. But we can do it, folks. We'll be right back. I'm going to be around my vegetables. I'm going to chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all, my favorite vegetable. All righty, folks. Welcome back. These um, boys singing about their favorite vegetable. And let's slide over to Columbia, talk with Marcella. Good morning. Thanks for holding. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. I love to hear your show every week. I <laughs> wanted to ask you about blueberries. I've been having, trying to grow blueberries for maybe about 15, 20 years and have not been successful. I've even transplanted some in different locations and don't get any. Maybe, maybe I might get about two or three cups. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, you know, and, and first of all, you know, we have experiment stations in Mississippi. They've been growing different varieties for a long time, and I've been growing blueberries a long time. But here's the thing. They're not like regular bushes. Where blueberries grow naturally is going to be in real rich, woodsy, acidic-type soils like wild azaleas. And if you don't have those kind of conditions, anything you can do to help the roots think they're in that kind of condition, the better they're going to grow. And so what I do when I plant my blueberries is I dig a wide hole. If you don't feel a little stupid about it, it's not wide enough. Three feet is not too wide. And then to the native dirt, I add real Canadian peat moss. It's the only time I, I strongly recommend Canadian peat moss because it's acidic. It lasts a long time. It fluffs up the soils and makes the roots think that's where they're growing naturally. So little peat moss works around your plants. Uh, a lot of natural leaf mulch, anything that will decompose and improve and feed the, the soil. The worms can come and, eat and circulate around it. So well, I'm, always, I'm always putting leaves on them. I, that's what yeah, I do to, to mulch around my gardens. I put, yeah. uh, sometimes I put the uh, pine straw. And yeah, sometimes I put the, the regular leaves. 
Yeah, regular leaves are better than pine straw. Pine straw is uh, is nice and it's inexpensive and it looks good, but it doesn't really feed the soil like the other things. So, other than you know anything you can do to help the roots, you know, have a a, a woodsier type of a texture that helps a lot. You can also try throwing some leaves on top and then fertilizing with this stuff called cottonseed meal, which is a natural product and it's safe even for organic gardeners. It has not only a good type of slow-acting nitrogen, but it's got protein in it, which really beefs up earthworms, and the worms will come up and eat that mulch and circulate it deep around your tree. So in other words, feed your soil with real leaves, feed the worms with a little cottonseed meal. And then the, the, the last two things are you can prune them like you can any kind of shrub and keep them compact. Yeah. But don't – but uh, – and, and a good deep soaking, I'm going to say at least every three or four weeks, if not every couple of weeks. And that's pretty much it. Um, it mm. also helps to have different varieties. We found that one variety will cause it. Yeah, but as a matter of fact, around my house, I have such a small garden. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm trying everything you're telling me. And just... <laughs> What's that? I, I said, I think I've tried just about everything you told me. Have worked because I've been listening for well, years. And yeah. Well, you know what I did in my yard is I've dug a, a, a hole probably five feet across, worked in some peat moss, and I actually put five different kinds of blueberries in that one hole, so they're growing like one big bush. And all I do is I mulch them in the fall, and I don't even water. Them. I'm not even there to water them in the summertime, but luckily they, pr- they produce pretty early. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Good roots, occasional soaking. That's all. That, that's the main thing that they need. I'll do is, is so, a water hole. I put this in a location where it's far away. And uh, but I have several different types of blueberries. I've piled uh, leaves on them and put cardboard down to keep the roots and all that stuff, you know, moist. And, and well, I've you know, other, other, other seed meal. I've tried yeah. that, and I've, I've even put blood meal and stuff like that around them. And uh, it doesn't work any. Well, Maybe I'm just I, I don't supposed to have any. <laughs> I don't want to begin at that, but sometimes I suspect that's true with me, too. I cannot grow tomatoes to suit me. I've never been able to produce good tomatoes. I can grow peppers. I can write a book about tomatoes, but for some reason, they just don't grow for me. So I hear you. And not much, you know, it's not much consolation, but me, too. All right. Well, thank you for your help. And I, like <laughs> I said, I enjoy your show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Marcella. Okay, now slide down to Fairhope, beautiful Fairhope, Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana, Fairhope, Alabama. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fine. Fine. I just showed a picture of that, you know, where the art museum there is, is just uh, north of downtown. They got that yes, big bottle looking tree thing. I love it. It's great. What you got going on? Yeah, I just have some like uh, shrubs in the front of the house. And inside those shrubs, I have some wild blackberry bushes. Ouch. And they just yeah. keep growing out, and when you walk to the sidewalk to the house, they just snag you all the time, and I just can't get yeah. rid of I can't get down to the roots because of the shrubs. They're yeah. so thick. Yeah. This, this is a tough one um, because, you know, you've got to, not only got to get the roots, but you've got to, little, got to get the little rhizomes of the roots grown because you can pull them up and they sprout back out from the roots. Uh, and there's not a good solution other than getting down with some gloves and pulling them up a day or so after good rain so that they come up and get as much as you can. And I know it's not easy because I deal with this. I have worse than blackberries. I've got dewberries in my garden. That's the ones that flop all over everywhere. 
And every time mm-hmm. I see one, I just reach down and pull it up and hope that I'm petering them out. But, you know, it, if you wanted to use a weed killer, the only one that's safe would be safe around your other shrub would be Roundup. And that's only if you put it on the, the, the leaves and the stems of the blackberry. So um, not much I can do, recommend except maybe cutting them down as best you can the next spring. Uh, check up under there when the new growth comes up. See if you can brush and maybe put on a plastic glove and then a cotton glove and then soak that cotton glove in Roundup and just caress the new the, the stems. Just wet them with Roundup. That's the only thing I know that will kill them, roots and all, that won't hurt your shrubs. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Good luck on it. It's, it's a lot easier <laughs> to say, but not that easy to do. Yes, sir. Right. Thank you. Okay. Good luck. Okay, now let's talk to Bailey. Bailey, where are you calling from? I'm from Fort Gibbon. From, from where? Cleveland County, Fort Gibbon, Mississippi. Okay, I got you. Oh, oh, near, near the river. Wanna, what's going on? Yeah. yeah what's, I want to know, what can you? I plant this time of year? Ooh, this is a good time of year to, to sit out. Well, it's, it's not good. It's hard to plant anything as hot and dry as it is. But uh, any time this month, you can still plant summer stuff like uh, tomatoes and peppers and uh, beans and things like that. And they'll actually produce better than those that are hanging on for spring. Uh, so you can plant, still plant some summer stuff. Uh, we're about a month away from the best time to start planting fall stuff like turnips and lettuce and collards and kale and all those kind of things. So it, we're sort of at the tail end of summer stuff, a little bit early for for fall stuff so but almost anything if you can dig the dirt you can water you can plant just about anything right now oh okay that's what i want to know you know it's, it's i might easy need to, to wait to try to plant some fall stuff yeah uh fall stuff you know things like that like cool weather uh, again like like kale and uh, carrots and beets and collards and lettuce and turnips and all those kind of things I'd wait till till middle of August to start planting those. Middle of August, first of September. And then you got plenty of time. It's not so bad out there digging and trying to water in this kind of weather. So, oh. you, do you have any? Hey, do you have any tomatoes out there still? Yeah, I had some tomatoes. They made a little bit, not real good. Well, one of the things you can do those little small, the little the little sprouts that that that's, that come out between the stem and the leaves, the little suckers. You can actually root those in water. And plant you some more tomatoes, but you can cut those little side shoots off, four, five, six inches long, and root them. Plant them later this month, and get some tomatoes. And they produce better in the cool weather in the fall than they do in the summertime. So if you can get any peppers oh. and tomatoes, it's a good time to set those out. Okay. All right. That's what I'm running now. Okay. Good luck on it, man. It's so much easier for me to say it than for you to get out and do it. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Okay, good luck on it. Okay, that was Bailey calling from around Port Gibson. We're going to take a real quick break and come back. we got some callers on the line, but I uh, would like to mention this is a good time to plant stuff if you can work up the dirt without hurting yourself. And instead of watering all the time, cover the ground with some leaves. Cover it up with mulch. That keeps it loose and keeps it cool. And when you water, water deeply, not all the time. A good deep soaking a couple of times a week is a lot better than watering a little bit every day. Uh, a little bit early again for cool season things, but um, one other thing is if, you, if you're lawn, if you're not the type to do a lot of care for your lawn, raise your mower up. 
you know, mowing on the high side during when it's hot and dry helps the grass come, uh, conserve moisture. Sounds really odd, but the more you cut it, the more it's got to grow. So, so don't cut as often. If you don't feel like watering too much, that's okay. They don't at the church either, and the grass looks just fine. So stick with us, folks. We'll be back more of the Gestalt Garden Journal, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, right after this. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. All righty, folks, welcome back to Horticulture Spell Rushing. And uh, by the way, Job, I want to give you a warning. If you ever, if you, if you like to take walks in the woods, need to take a stick with you right now and hold it up in front of you. You're going to look like a wizard, but hold a stick up in front because we're starting to see a type of spider called a golden orb weaver. It's oh, a big spider. It's I'm a beautiful talking- spider, too, though. It's a very beautiful spider. Yeah. Are you, are you thinking about that yellow and black one? Yeah. Is that wrong? <laughs> well, there's another one out there. Oh, man. Okay. It's, it's, give you a hint. It's called a banana spider. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's pretty. It's pretty, but it's kind of a golden uh, body, and it's got the legs. It got, it's just a, it's a. I don't like spiders and all, but this is a pretty one. The golden orb weavers, uh, and also the uh, the big uh, yellow and black garden spider. They're stretching out in between trees, and if you're walking in through the woods and they wrap it around you, it's going to look like you're doing a heck of a dance. I'm just saying because they, they make you know, giant not, webs too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the kind of, I mean, I've got goosebumps, and I'm 4,000 miles away from them right now. So, <laughs> so anyway, let's, let's, let's go up to Hernando, see what Mike's up to. Mike, thank you for holding, man. What's going on? Hey, Felder, uh, thanks for giving a tip of the hat to grandmothers. I grew up in the 1950s when grandmas would pick their tomatoes when they were still green and slightly starting to turn and put them on the kitchen shelf. And, you know, as a little child, as a green tomato, but boy, they really knew what you know, that that's how to ripen them. Well, the difference is, though, they learn from each other. I learn from the books, and I must have skipped that class because I've been involved all these years. But, but, and I also found that if you store them upside down, if you store them right side mm-hmm. up, they actually lose a lot of moisture through that little stem end. If you turn them upside down, they ripen a little bit slower, but they, 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 they keep more moisture. So there's so much research yeah. has been done that I just didn't know about. But yeah, Well, great. you know, back in the 50s, everybody had a garden. Everybody had a garden. And as kids, we'd go through everybody's backyard and, you know, find something, pick it. And nobody cared. But it was wonderful because people really, really knew how to grow things. And I, I, yeah. I salute you for tipping a hat to those people that knew what you know. Well, you know, living and learning. By the way, we had a neighbor named Mr. Yarborough. Mr. Yarborough grew muscadines and he grew pomegranates. But he never got muscadines mm. or pomegranates because we always picked them after swimming in the, <laughs> in, in the summertime. So uh, it's sort of like uh, Mr. Wilson next door to uh, Dennis the Menace having to deal with folks yes. like me. <laughs> anyway, memories, we, were raised, huh? we were raised right. Although I will mention this, my great-grandmother, when I was a kid, I was 10 years old, early 60s, my great-grandmother had me help them pick figs in the Delta, Ooh. you know, 100 degrees in July, picking figs and talk about itchy. But I helped her one time put up 60 quarts of homemade fig preserves. That's a lot oh, of man. Her, her fig tree is still alive after all these years. 
Oh, yeah, they were survivors. Well, you, uh, I, I really appreciate your insight, and I love the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Mike. You were raised right, too. Thank you for your call, man. Okay, and then I'll slide all the way over to Alabama. Alan, how are you today? What's up? Good morning. How's everything going? So far, so good. What okay. can I help you with? Now, I, okay, this is Help Lady with the blueberries and everything. And there's a lot of things you can do. But I learned just recently is a real big thing you can do to do a lot for your plant. That's acidity of the soil. And you can buy a soil acidifier at the box store. It's about $10 for a five-pound bag. But yeah, the quick and easy way, yeah, the quick and easy way for, for people that really grow a lot of berries, uh, go to probably the co-op is the best place and buy 50-pound sacks of sulfur and it takes a year for that stuff to break down and then the bacteria will eat the sulfur and acidify the soil but uh leaf mulch grass mulch sulfur and then uh it's just like uh gumbo if you want to use some fertilizer that's fine don't overdo it but a rich mixture a lot of mulch leaf mulch you can you can buy these sacks of sulfur, 50-pound bag of it, for $25 and do a tremendous amount of good for your garden. Just thought I'd throw yeah. that in. You know, Alan, you know, you're exactly right. It's the opposite of adding lime. Most people add lime to their soil because the soil is so acid, and the lime makes it less acid. But around blueberries and azaleas and camellias, sulfur is the opposite. It makes the soil more acidic. And you can buy smaller containers of sulfur at some garden centers. You just have a few plants. Excellent tip, though, man. I really appreciate it. Okay, now let's slide over to uh, Mobile. Talk to Francis. Francis, what you got going on today? Good morning, Felder. Um, I have an orange tree I planted uh, two years ago, and last year I produced some oranges. I'm very happy with it. Um, it really took off growing this spring, and it has one or two branches that has oranges on it and thorns, and yeah. the rest of it's just grown. So when do I need to trim this thing back? It's turning into a trifid. Well, Tristan, I love Tristan. like the giant hogweed we have over in England. Oh, uh, you can thin out tall stuff. The big, the big limbs and some of the branches off that you can do that any time of the year. I mean, that really helps a lot by just thinning out some of the the top growth. If you do that, though, don't leave any stubs. You know, whatever's cutting off, follow it to where it starts and cut it off right there without any stubs that that'll decay. So you can do that any time. It's just hot this time of year, including in the winter time. So uh, that's not any problem thinning out tall stuff anytime you get around to it. All right. Well, that's all I need to know. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Well, there's one other thing I want you to check for you out there. Look at the partial thought on the th – make sure that the leaves are single leaves, not leaves with three leaflets. Because a lot of these are grafted, and if you've got part of the rootstock sprouting up, those are not going to produce fruit. They're really thorny, but the leaves, they have three leaflets per leaf. Make sure you don't have any of those. Ah. If you do, cut the, they're growing from the rootstock, and you don't want that. Cut those off. Okay, good. Good to know. Uh -huh, I don't need rootstock. I want oranges. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it. Good luck on it. Thank you. All righty. Sure. 
job. I, I learned some stuff today. Yeah, I'm glad today started. It, it was kind of a down little show a little bit, but uh, because yeah, know, we weren't I'm, getting any apples, we weren't getting any blueberries, the roses weren't yep. blooming, but it, yeah, it know, turned around. <laughs> it did. It did. That's okay. We, You know, that's what we're doing. I don't mind not knowing some stuff. I wish I could remember some of the stuff that I learned. Uh, and I sure don't mind learning from other folks, but I'm glad I can share and that other folks call in can share with each other as well. The idea about adding sulfur around your blueberries and azaleas and other ancillary plants, it's a great idea. It's just one of those things I didn't think about. So appreciate that. Now, All what's up folks, with these uh, uh, experimental stations that you were talking about? I never heard of those. Well, yeah, you're really not supposed to. They, they, the Mississippi State has, you know, we do research. And the Extension Service teaches people. That's what, you know, it's an outreach program. But the research is done in little areas and are scattered all over Mississippi. One will grow soybeans, different varieties. Some do corn, some do apples, some do blueberries. We've got one down at Crystal Springs that have a big fall garden day every year. It's where we research what grows well, how can we do better. And then that information is funneled to the university and then out to the public. So every, every now and then... Uh, the experiment station will have an open house for farmers to come to or sometimes home gardeners, including muscadines and blueberries and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, it's part of the system at Mississippi State University called the Coordinated Access for Research and Extension Education. You want more information? Go to msucares.com. Take it from there. Hey, I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing. It's hot in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, everywhere we talk. Going to be hot in England. We're all going to suffer through. We'll help each other. We'll figure it out. And if you have some things you'd like to chat about during the week, call your county extension office, see if they can help you. Meanwhile, take a kid to a farmer's market, maybe to a garden center. It's really important to show them what our grandmama showed us how to do, and that's get dirty. Thank you so much, Job, and all the folks at MPB. We'll see you all next week. Woohoo!